Andrew, do we do, we do a skit? Not a skit. I don't know. I'm skit. Okay, how about we start with the shots? I'm feeling depressed. That's silly. Nick Grossos. Dr. Andrew Steinberg. And welcome Dr. Albert Schuker. And Haas the Boss. Haas the Boss. And welcome to talk about an episode of Have the Balls to Talk About It. And what are you drinking there, Haas? Actually, you know what? This is Nick's drink. Say it. How do you say it? Silili. Silili? All right. So, Tsipuro. How do you say it? Tsipuro. Andrew, if I give you uh, two shots of this, you're going to sleep for like two days. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You guys have met Dr. Shuker before. He's been on our uh, show a bunch of times. Uh, and Nick, do you want to introduce Haas the Boss? Haas the Boss. Where do I start with Haas the Boss? Um, Haas, I'll let you introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Haas. Um, I've known Nick for a couple of years. I'm in uh, telecom. I own a uh, uh, event planning company also. I own a marketing company. And uh, the reason why Nick asked me to come on the show is that I did an interview uh, maybe a week ago. And uh, there was a part of that interview that I talked about saying, I think the first two weeks of this whole uh, coronavirus thing that I got stuck being at home and having to shut down practically everything I had. I'm pretty sure I was maybe depressed and got out of it. And then uh, when Nick heard, he said, you know what, why don't you come and uh, talk to us about it? So, so what, were you, what were you feeling? How are you feeling? Uh, you know what? The reason why I said I think maybe I was depressed was that I went on vacation. I came back on the 10th. And went to work on the 11th. Uh, on the 12th, um, I actually gave um, a speech in front of 45 uh, business owners, speaking about uh, my life because I was I was born in Iran, uh, came to Canada. I was eight years old. Had to learn French and English. Open heart surgery at the age of 17. Wow. Uh, decided to drop out of school. Uh, went to work, and you know things worked out eventually. And my whole speech the 15 minutes that I talked about it was all about that it's all about the mindset of overcoming obstacles and things happen you know that things don't happen to you things just happen and how you deal with it is what's important and then the day after I found out because I traveled that you're supposed to self-isolate and stay home so I said okay I'll stay home but at first you know I thought it was just a thing that's going to pass I never thought it was going to be this serious and on the 13th of um, uh, the month I decided to close down my stores. This was before the government announced that we should close down. This was before people were actually shutting down. I decided to do it. I said, you know what? What if somebody from my staff gets sick and gives it to their parent or to someone that they know? I won't be able to forgive myself because of thinking about the revenue, thinking about money. If I was doing it, it was truly just about the money if I would be staying open. Mm -hmm. So I decided to close everything down. And then when it got more serious and then, you know, the mall started closing down. So all my stores were closed at this point. What kind of stores do you have? I have Bell stores, Virgin stores, and Lucky Mobile stores. Okay. Um, you know, the, the, like I said, the party event thing, that's completely shut down. There's no way we're going to do any parties for anybody. Okay. And the other business that I have, which is marketing, 
is actually a system that we have in restaurants so that when people go stay at the restaurant to have supper or lunch, when they connect to the internet, we collect data for the restaurant. So even that shut down. So, you know, when they say, don't put all your eggs in the same basket, I didn't, but yet this thing came and fucking just shut everything down, you know? What I felt was I didn't want to talk to anybody. Uh, my friends would call. I wouldn't pick up. Uh, I wouldn't text back for a good two weeks. And the reason why I thought, you know, maybe I was going through something was that a really good friend of mine and mentor would call me every day. And it's the only phone call I would pick up, but I would kind of brush him off on the call until about two weeks later when he called me on a Saturday and I picked up. Uh, all I said was hi. And he's like, uh, oh, look, Haas is back. So why are you saying that? He goes, I could just feel it. He goes, you, you sound different. You're talking different. Uh, you weren't in a good place. That's why I was calling you every day. That's when I said, you know what? Maybe I was going through, I think, a bit denial, like Nick said. Uh, yeah. I, I never want to talk about my feelings if they're negative or because I feel weak because I feel like I shouldn't feel like this. I'm the guy that is not scared of anything, overcomes everything, and suddenly it's as if I have no control of what's going on. Pause, how did you feel that that guy was, uh, that friend of yours was calling you every single day, you know? I mean, you were in a, in a dark place and uh, you didn't want to talk to anybody. So, you know, getting those calls could either be an annoyance, you know, uh, almost like putting you out of your, you know, uh, self-sheltered protective kind of mechanism um and this person is just you know really trying hard to get you know in touch with you and get through to you how did you feel and you know how did you feel at the time that he was calling you every single day and how do you feel now looking back you know about him calling you every single day well when we would call i, I didn't want to answer the, the truth was i didn't want to answer his calls um I, was I annoyed? No, I just felt bad not answering because it was him. You know what I mean? If it was someone that calls me once every two, three weeks, usually I'll probably not pick up, which that's what I was doing. But he's someone that I talk to a lot. So I figured he knows if I don't answer, what am I doing? You know, apart from maybe I'm in the shower, I'm going to call him back. There is no other reason why I wouldn't pick up his calls. So I would pick it up out of respect for him. Uh, I wasn't annoyed. I just, I really don't want to talk to him because I don't want him to feel what I felt. You know, I, I have a lot of friends and what they say is that I'm very um, vocal about what I feel towards you, let's say. If there's something I don't like about you, I'll tell you to your face. And something I always say, if somebody calls me and if it's about something that's negative, I tell them not to talk to him about it because I don't want them to affect my day. As much as I'll never affect your day, don't affect mine. If I, everything's going yeah, good, you can call me. Right. And but then it became to a point that as a joke, that if you have anything that's going wrong, don't call us because he's going to tell you to go fuck off. <laughs> what? You know what I, mean? I don't even know where to start on that. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, but that's, that's, you know, you, that's your, you know, your, your friends are there for you and you're, for, you're there for your friends for the, for the good and the bad, you yeah. know? So to, to, to hide the bad, whether it's to your friends or to your spouse or to your kids or to your coworkers, uh, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think that's a good thing. I don't think that's a good uh, mechanism. I, but a, looking back now, yeah. looking back, Haas, if you had a friend that was going through something that was similar to what you were going through, uh, do you think that it would be appropriate or the right thing to call them every single day and make sure that they answer and not stop calling? 
I, I believe so. But look, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not saying that if you have anything wrong, that if you call me, I'll tell you off. The difference between the way I think and the way I said it was that if there's something that bothers you and you talk to me about it and I give you my opinion on how I think you should fix it, if the next day or next week you call me about the same problem, then you're the problem. Yeah. You know, if I don't like something, I'll go change it. You know, if I, if I don't like my wife, you know, we all, I know Nick's story. How long did it take you to pull the trigger to get, to separate, to get that divorce? <laughs> you know what I mean? Pull the trigger at your if wife. You kept talking to me about it, <laughs> if you kept talking to me about it for years and I keep telling you, I think you should do this. At a point, I don't want to hear it anymore because you don't want to do anything about it. You can't help someone that doesn't want to be helped. Right. That's I think what that's, I meant by don't I, complain. I, I to think me. that, uh, you know, you're touching on two very, very good points. First of all, um, you know, we didn't mention it at the beginning, but I do like to start with not saying that you're my patient, but with all patients, uh, I usually say like, Hey, I tip off my hat for you to even be vocal about it, to, to come out and speak about, you know, something that was difficult in your life. Um, you, you know, it's not easy, especially for us men. What were you saying, Andrew? To have the balls to talk about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really does take a lot of balls. So, so that's amazing. Um, and, and we're not here to diagnose and say, you know, you were going through a depression or you were going through this. But I think that there's something that is very interesting about what you're saying and that we have to put kind of like a bit of a, of a twist to it. I don't think that uh, a depression or an anxiety disorder or any type of mental health illness is necessarily in, con- in the control of the person that, is, that, that it is affecting. And so you were saying something very right. You said, you know, like if, if there's something that is going on in the world or in your life, it's not happening to you and you should be the one to control how the outcome and how you want to perceive it. I completely agree. However, there is, you know, the disease of mental health that you're no, not. But I think, no, but I think, I think, no, I actually, I wanted to touch on that before because uh, the, you ever hear the book, uh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck or something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there's a whole chapter on that, that, that you are responsible. And I think it sort of touches on that, Hoss, that you are responsible that everything that happens to you. Now, people hear that and say, well, I mean, I, I got raped or I got beaten or my wife left me or whatever. But it's not, it's not what happens. It's how you take that and move forward. Mm-hmm. And so if you're looking at, um, you know, DSM criteria, which is really the, the Bible of psychiatry, we're touching on two different diagnoses now. So when something happened to you, when it's a divorce or, or rape or something horrible that's, you know, bankruptcy, it doesn't matter what it is, then you're looking at a cause for your depression or your anxiety, and that is called an adjustment disorder with certain mood symptoms, either depression or anxiety. But an adjustment disorder does not necessarily affect your full ability to function in life or inability to function in life and also it doesn't necessarily stay there for as long as possible so i usually give that example a lot but is it is it a disorder or is it just a reaction to a bad life so it's considered an adjustment disorder Mm -hmm. um i have a question when you mean adjustment disorder is it really what the word says it means you're adjusting to something that's going on in your life Practically. So, so in French, it's un trouble d'adaptation. So it's, you cannot adjust to something that is happening in your life. And the way you can actually differentiate between the two, and that is Haas, exactly kind of where you're coming in, is if I told you no more coronavirus, you're back at work, and here's a billion dollars, are you still depressed? 
And if the answer is no, then you weren't depressed. You understand what I mean? But if I see a patient and they're crying and they're depressed and they're not able to sleep and they're not eating and they're suicidal and everything else, and I tell them, here's a billion dollars, you're on a beautiful beach with your loved ones and your family and you're on a yacht and, and you have absolutely no worries in the world, are you still depressed? Their answer is absolutely yes. Nothing's going to make me happy. I, sorry, Elroy. I, I, yeah. Is that an actual, like, I mean, I've, I mean it, it, it runs in my family, depression and a lot of... And I always question how much is it really uh, actually real, right? And, and what I mean by that is that a lot of times when you talk to people who are depressed and you start asking questions, you kind of realize they're depressed for a reason because they're not actually happy in their life and where they're at. Yeah, but there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a difference between being unhappy at your situation and being clinically depressed. Yeah, right. But, but what, what is... Want to explain that, Elroy? Clinically depressed means what? So, I, so the biggest, um, so, so there's three things that, or, or three things that needs to happen if you're going to be clinically diagnosed with depression. One is you either have to say I'm depressed, or you, the loss of interest in what makes you happy. You so, have to say you're depressed. So, so the the, the actual diagnosis, the way the, the that it goes is. I need to feel depressed. If I'm not feeling depressed, I'm likely not depressed. Or I need to lose interest in what makes me happy and what gives me pleasure. But the third thing and the most important part about depression, about clinical depression, is the, and that goes in terms of like severity as well. So, it is, so there is a long span of, of what kind of uh, depression you're going through, is how is it affecting your daily living? And if it starts to affect your relationships, your ability to do housework, to take care of yourself, to work, no matter what, if it starts to affect your functionality, that is now a clinical diagnosis as opposed to I'm unhappy, I'm sad, but I still go to work and I'm still able to earn my salary and take care of my kids. Mm -hmm. well, it, it, so, so when you look at the difference between clinical depression, clinical is like the guy or the girl is happy or like happy everything is good in their life and suddenly for no reason or something they don't be, know why there must be a trigger no they they have they absolutely have no idea why i have so many men especially men i, I don't know what's going on it's, people are talking about the covid pandemic and i'm talking about the depression pandemic i'm having 35 to 45 year old alpha males um, police officer, construction guys, business owners, doctors, anything you want, you know, trainers, no matter what. And they're just like, my life is great. I have my kids. I'm happily married. My wife's amazing. I'm successful. I have no idea why I'm depressed. I, I cannot sleep at night. I, all I want to do is sleep though. I'm fatigued. I have no energy. I have no appetite. I, I have no pleasure. I don't know what it is, but I'm depressed. Is it is it a chemical imbalance in that in that point, or is it like where do you draw that line between you need to go talk to somebody and you need medication? So, Doc Steinberg and I uh, we actually had a little Instagram live about it, and I think that if you ever question, do I need to talk to somebody about it? The answer is absolutely yes. Um, but that's where you have to have the balls to talk to someone because like you were saying, you know, it's still taboo, especially for men to go and ask for help about something that is so sensitive and, and, you know, um, 
it puts you in a, in a corner that is uncomfortable. But um, if you're questioning whether or not you should ask for help, you know, just like Haas was getting it from a friend, I think that, you know, someone you trust, someone you can confide in, whether it's your partner uh, or a psychologist or your doctor or, or your trainer or anybody, you know, just ask for help. And I'm sure that, you know, people are more and more aware with everything that's going on that this is something that can really affect you and take your life. So I was right. I wasn't depressed. <laughs> yeah. So, so I think that you were going through a sort of uh, adjustment disorder, if you want, or an adjustment yeah. to a situation that was very short lived and that, you know, with a lot of insight and a lot of hard work on your end as well, you were able to uh, finally come out of it and, you know, come out on the good side of it. What was your, but, the two of you guys, what was your darkest moment in the last uh, month through all this, you think? Myself? How about you, Nick? Yeah. To be honest with you, I, 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 for some reason, I, I, I've, I've been hit hard in my life that, like, to me, it, it really nothing, even the transition of my job, I quit. You haven't seen your son in how long? I haven't seen my son in a month. I FaceTime him. I every you know every day two three times a day nothing's really shooken up in my life i guess because i'm i'm used to <laughs> a lot worse things have happened to me that to me it's like all right i gotta stay home a little bit i'm training online nothing has shooken me to the point like i've had moments like my divorce and other stuff i've been through that were really you know sitting in the bedroom alone in a one bedroom just drinking my brains out thinking i'm i'm, I'm not getting out of this that was a hard moment for me. And I've had many of those. So I think sometimes as well, the tolerance that grows through rough moments, your threshold takes maybe more and for you to, to crack or break, if you want to call it, or go through that phase. So I, I can't say really anything has shooken me enough to get me to feel that way. Andrew, how about you? Yeah, well, I mean, this is definitely shooken me up. I mean, it's, you know, I'm used to, I love my job. I'm used to being in the office and seeing patients and doing things and doing procedures and just go, go, go and, and planning, you know, different ventures and growing our, our, our practices and everything like that. So to go from that to calling, uh, you know, 15 patients a week on the telephone uh, definitely, definitely hit me. Uh, you know, I run our office with, uh, you know, 10 other doctors and, uh, I had to make decisions, final decisions to, to cut things, and everything like that. So that was a big stressor. Of course, the stressor of, of, uh, you know, the financial stressor. I mean, it's a you know, dramatic, uh, thing. So I, I don't, I never went depressed. I had some days where I was low and feeling like what the hell is happening? And you know, this is a nightmare. And you know, I, I actually even one time in the shower just broke down and cried for five minutes. But um, but then you know, snapped out of it, and uh, you know, so it's it's. I was never close to being depressed, but I guess just you know, reacting to a shitty situation. Which yeah, Andrew, you know what's interesting? Sorry, what's interesting is what Haas had said and what you say, like. They're going to edit out this part that I said I cried in the shower, right? <laughs> no, I, I, it was I, I just recorded that part. I got so I soap in my eyes. <laughs> you keep part of, I think part of the show that, that we that, that have the balls is to actually say, like, I've been through moments where I know what it is to sit 
and cry for two days while you're drinking, thinking, fuck it, I'm, you know, and we all go through those moments. And I think for men, we're conditioned and we're, you know, beat up and don't show weakness. But at some point, I think depression happens because it becomes heavy to always keep it inside and try to play that tough, strong image and look. And when I hear Hoss's story, when I, when you shared with that with me, Andrew, I'm thinking I would never think that would be possible from you because I have this strong, you know, Andrew, and that's what I see. And I think sometimes that becomes hard because people see this strong, you know, person. And then you're like, what you go through depression or you've been through anxiety. I would never think that from you. Mm -hmm. And, and when people open up, it actually, the fact that somebody opens up and tells me that, and then I could open up and say, you know what, it happens to me too. And then that makes you feel a little bit better and more to open up to others. And I think that's something that men need to do a little bit more without playing the victim. Cause I think that's a whole other thing playing the yeah, victim. Yeah. yeah. I think that it's also, you know, in the times that we are today with everything that's going on in social media, we're trying to raise awareness, but at the same time, what is social media trying to convey, right? It's like your happiest moments and everybody is always on a beach and eating the best food and drinking the best wine. And, That's right. You're, you know, you're always you're, laughing. You're having, uh, you know, having uh, tequila shots and uh, sitting by. Yeah. In so, you know, I, you try to emulate that and, and, and you feel like, why, what's wrong with me? Why am I crying in, you know, in the shower while they're having fun drinking tequila? It makes absolutely no sense. But like you said, you have no idea what these people are going through. And I think that it's, you know, very, very important, like Haas's friends, you know, to, to keep calling and make sure that you're staying in touch and asking the right questions and, you know, uh, just, just caring for one another, especially at this time right now, you know, with COVID uh, going on, people are taking it really differently, really tough. Uh, people are not seeing their kids. People are not seeing their families. Uh, people are losing jobs. People have no money to pay for rent. Um, you know, people are, are, are at home with their wives for a month. Terrible things are happening, <laughs> right, all around us. So, no, not me. Really. Oh, you're, you're a newlywed. <laughs> <laughs> but did you, but, but did you, you know see I mean? my post? So, <laughs> what is it? I, I did a post last, uh, I think it was last week or this week. I was sitting and uh, we're having a supper with my wife. And she said something, and I smiled. She's like, you have dimples? I said, what? She said, you have dimples? I said, 14 years we're fucking married. You don't know a dimple? I never saw you this much. <laughs> so, yeah. This is going back to what you said so about being at home for a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, I think it's, it's as much as like we were more disconnected before this and we're more connected and we actually we're seeing the fact that we are social beings we need to be to get we need to be connected yeah. and i'm seeing people are are trying to connect more now than before we were sitting next to each other doing this whereas now i, I spoke to my family in greece like every week where i don't i normally speak to them once every two months or once every three months so we take that time now to reconnect to be alone to think to uh, you know, really, you know, be with ourselves, which I'm pretty sure is scary for some people. Yeah, I'm ready to get back to work. <laughs> yeah, I miss, uh, you know, what's funny is that I'm on the road about, uh, you know, seven, eight hours a day and to have to be home and you can't go anywhere. And if you do, nobody's there anyways. It's just after a while, it gets to you, you know, 
that's what happens and then like then i snap out of it that's yeah. every every day is like this yeah yeah i mean we need for me i was actually we like, thinking we like about routine today. you know going back to work and starting that routine again and i can just imagine that in a couple of months of work i'd be like wow i miss this quarantine <laughs> yeah. just another week off <laughs> i i have a question for you all right um yeah. Because I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit against medication and I'm not saying for people who are depressed, they shouldn't. I'm very anti-medication because I, you know, my, my mom is, she's got borderline disorder. She's been on Xanax and Valium since I was maybe six or seven. Since I was, yeah. And I saw what it did to her brain. I've seen family members under medication. So I'm very anti-against it. And my question to you is, before we medicate somebody in depression or any type of bipolar disease, what is the reference point before we medicate? Do we do a, do we do a brain scan where we could see there's, there's something chemical imbalance? Does that even exist before we do no, that? But I, I, think you're trying to sep- I think you're trying to separate, and, and you do this when we talk about erectile dysfunction a lot, you know, psychological and biochemical as if psychological was just this imaginary cloud in your head but it's all it's all one of the same and yeah, there are so definitely yeah you can tell you you know more about this than yeah, I. yeah no but you're saying something right right and you're saying something that is about the connection between the psychological and the physiological mm. and there's actually something called the psychophysiological uh reflex or psychophysiological uh anything you want um, and, you know, Andrew is, is a specialist in uh, erectile dysfunction and, you know, there's uh, no better connection between your psychological and your physical uh, than your ability to have an erection. Um, you know, you're not having an erection if you're unhappy and, and not aroused, right? And arousal is technically a very psychological uh, thing, unless you're 16 years old, obviously, but none of us are. Are you having one now? <laughs> that that's an the erection. Bad. Yeah, <laughs> uh-huh, <so> you're smiling. <laughs> I'm having an erection. I don't know. I just want to know how you knew. <laughs> keep, keep, you're keep, keep both, your eyes. Keep both your hands. <laughs> keep both your hands on the table. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but to answer Nick's point, um, there's no brain scan that you can do. There's no test, uh, specific test that you can do. Um, you just, there's, but there's also no difference between a psychological depression and a biochemical depression. I mean, right. there is, there is, you know, biochemical aspects in, in causing depression. It is a, it is a medical illness like diabetes and some people need medication for it. And I don't know, you know, you, you know, you, you may be thinking about people from an older era of medications uh and, and you're also not comparing so i don't know if they were on the right medication but you're also comparing them to nothing what would they have been like not on medications uh so you, it's hard to just look at one person but you know there's the, there's the whole serotonin serotonergic system uh you know many different systems i'm, I'm i haven't studied psychiatry in 30 years, I, I, I think that'd be amazing like i mean if they could take a brain scan and tell you okay Here's what you're missing in terms of, here's the chemical imbalance. If you take this, this is going to bring it up. That, in, in that case, maybe I would be open if I had to take yeah, it. Yeah, but, but why would you say that for depression, but you wouldn't say that for high blood pressure? 
because bl- high blood pressure, they're going to take my blood pressure and they're going to tell me. You yeah, know, and depression, they're going to speak to you and do a clinical assessment and know you're depressed. Here's or, another, you know what, I'll give you another Here's, here's another example, migraines. Okay? I got exactly, any pain. There, I got pain. headaches there, whatever. You don't do a CAT scan for that. You diagnose it based on the symptoms. I think Nick's issue is um, if somebody has to tell someone they're depressed, it's their opinion versus a blood test. No, no. It, it, if you're, facts if you're, that are on if, paper. No, if you're talking to Nick and he says you're depressed, that's his opinion. If you're talking to Shuker, who's trained to diagnose this, um, there are many different examples. I can rattle off 10 right now of diseases that we uh, diagnose based on symptoms, which is why telemedicine is possible. I don't mm-hmm. have to see. You know what? Again, let's give, let's give this example of erectile dysfunction again. You know, like if someone says that they have erectile dysfunction, Andrew doesn't take them in their yeah. office and tries to have them, you know, get, a, get an erection. Yeah. That's not yeah, what I heard. <laughs> That'd be really awesome. Andrew loves his job. <laughs> his job. <laughs> but, but right, like it's exactly the same thing, right? If I tell you, so, so what is the difference between someone telling me, you know, I'm having erectile problems and I'm able to have an erection and I'm able to have it for five minutes, but after five minutes, they kind of lose it. And someone else who says, hey, I'm having erectile problems, I'm unable to ever have an erection. Are they both suffering from erectile dysfunction? Do you understand what I'm trying to say here? Technically, you're on two different types of people, and yet both of them are technically suffering from the same disorder. The point is that it's a spectrum, and the other point is that it's a dysfunction for you, right? So if it affects your ability to function, and if you feel that you're unable to function, that is when we start saying, okay, what are the treatment options? I'm going to take it even further. By by saying it's, it's it's a psychological in your head, whatever, you're actually minimizing the disease that it really is. Right. You know, it, it's, and I, you know, it, it's, and when I actually, when people come again, I guess to continue, go back to erectile dysfunction, you know, I tell people like, why do I have it? Like they feel bad that they have it. I said, look, it's a disease like diabetes or high blood pressure. It's erectile dysfunction or, or interstitial cystitis or migraines or, or whatever, you know, these are diseases and, um, you know, medications work on them, proven to work versus placebo. There are studies in biochemical abnormalities. There are million, you know, thousands of studies done on depressed people looking at the metabolism in certain parts of their brains and whatever, which I know nothing about these studies, but I know they exist. Um, and, uh, you know, this isn't, uh, you know, in your head. This is a real biochemical illness. Hmm. You get yeah. it, Nick? Yeah, no, I get it. I'm always, I'm always, I'm always like, yeah. But Nick, let, let me tell you something. Medicating and over-medicated and appropriately medicating. And again, you're yeah. talking, you're talking, you're looking also back how many years? 30 years? 30 years. You're thinking about your mother and your yeah. whatever, right? So much, much different era back then. You know, at that point, yeah, that point homosexuality was, it was, a, was in the psychiatry textbook. No way. For real? Yeah. Yeah, in the psychiatry, like you, you were. Well, the way Albert was talking about the DSM, the uh, the, di- the diagnostic guideline book. So if you go back, what, what, right now we're on the fourth or fifth version. Yeah, fifth. So when I was in medical school, we were on the fourth version. But if you go back to the earlier versions, uh, you know, homosexuality was in there as a medical disorder. Wow. 
Yeah, so things have changed quite a bit, but just to kind of appease you a little bit, uh, Nick, if I do see a patient with, uh, with depression, um, you know, obviously first I categorize the severity of it, and if reasonable, uh, exactly like diabetes or high blood pressure, I usually say, hey, let's start with conservative measures. Let's start with, you know, for diabetes, we talk about weight loss, we talk about nutrition, you know, good diet, less sugars, training, exercise, all of these things before we say, hey, you need some medication. But sometimes diabetes is really out of control and the person weighs, you know, 350 pounds and they're not able to lose, you know, weight like this because they've tried and tried and tried. And at that point, you do need medication. It's the same thing goes for depression. Today, I saw a patient, she was, uh, you know, young, I think 28 years old. She said, you know, for the past year, I've seen psychologists uh, every single week. I've eaten right. I'm exercising every single day. Nothing is working. I don't know what to do in order to get out of my funk. I'm really depressed. You know, this is not a patient that I'm going to say, hey, let's give another three-month three trial to exercising, right? Like this is a person that's asking for help because they need that extra hand. Uh, and that extra hand I'm able to give with certain medications. But every single patient and, and, you know, like Karen from the other room is hearing me like talk about, about it every single time. The only thing that is consistent, they tell them all, get out of the house and go for a walk for 30 minutes a day. You know, and Andrew has this amazing uh, trick. I'll let Andrew talk about it, the five-minute trick. Five-minute trick is to when you're, when you're uh, you can't get up and you can't do something because you're looking at these big activities that you feel you need to do like going doing exercise or doing some work or or cleaning the dishes or whatever to give yourself five minutes so you're going to go and you're going to do five minutes of exercise and that's better than nothing and that's all so because it's easy to bite off a five minute chunk of something so don't don't make any more pressure uh, if i told hosh go right now and walk for five minutes you say okay it's not a big deal but 99 percent of the time once you do those five minutes you're going to keep on going if you're exercising for five minutes on the treadmill, you're going to keep on going. If you started working at your desk on your computer, and you say you're going to do it for five minutes, you're going to keep on going. So, uh, you know, in terms of motivating yourself to get up, don't say you're going to go outside and run a marathon or exercise for an hour and a half, but just bite off these small pieces. And if you do only do five minutes, that's better than nothing. But I guarantee any of you out there, five minutes is going to turn to 10, 20, 30, 40 minutes. Absolutely. It's true. And exercise, as you know, Nick, I mean, you'd be able to tell us so much about it, right? Like the endorphins and the good feeling that you have, the productivity that you can get out of it. It's, it's incredible. Yeah, 100%. So there you have it. Haas, we've got two pieces of good news for you. you. One is you weren't depressed, and two, you got cute dimples. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So let's call it a night, boys. All righty. Guys, thank you Thanks for doing this again uh, and sharing your experience. And uh, Dr. Shukar Elroy, thanks for coming and sharing your knowledge. And safe, uh, everybody. Stay, uh, stay smiling. And remember to have the balls, balls to talk balls about, to about it. it. Balls to talk about balls it. Balls to talk about it. Balls to talk about it.